Good morning to everybody. It is so wonderful to see you folks here. It is so wonderful to have you with us at home this morning as well. Over the past two Sundays, we have focused in very specifically on and discussed what to me is one of the most beautiful promises in all of scripture. That is Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, which says, we know, we know it. It's not up for debate. It's not up for discussion. We know that all things, all of them, good, bad, and indifferent, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things. Now, as we consider that truth, as we consider that verse and the current chaos and confusion in our world specifically relative to the coronavirus pandemic, we might be tempted to think, okay, I know what the scripture says, but how can God, even God, bring good out of everything that this thing is bringing to us? Well, the first and most obvious answer, the first good that comes to mind for me when I think of that automatically, is how people are being exposed to the gospel through our live streaming, something that we were never doing before. How people are being exposed to the gospel through the live streamed lessons that we might never have had the opportunity to present the gospel to before or to reach out to. From friends and family on Facebook to friends and family that live far, far away, we have some of these lessons uh, even after you all are here on a Sunday morning and even with the families that are home and we might have 20 family units, some of these lessons, because once they're out there, they're posted, are being watched by two and 300 different uh, addresses of people and some of those are family units. We didn't have that kind of exposure before. And so that's one of the good things that has come out of the coronavirus. If we can get to those people who will love God when they hear what he has done for them through the gospel, and thus they are called through and obey that gospel, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14, as well as chapter 1, 7 through 10, then we will have helped to have saved a number of souls, every one of which is absolutely priceless. Mark chapter 8, verses 35 through 37. The second good thing that God can bring out of this pandemic is that it has the potential to force a lot of people to really, really reconsider the fragility of life, to reevaluate their priorities, and to hopefully begin to readjust their activities as they begin to finally think about preparing for their eternity. And that is certainly one of the good things that God can bring out of this. A third good thing that will hopefully come out of this coronavirus chaos is that it will make all of us who are already God's people a lot more appreciative of some of the things we used to take for granted. Let's face it, 
Did we used to take for granted the ability to come to this building and have Bible study? Did we used to take for granted the opportunity to serve in some capacity in some program? Did we used to take for granted that we'd always have services here on Sunday night? Did we? Yeah, we did. And so hopefully, as I say, a third good thing that God will bring out of this coronavirus mess is it will make all of us as Christians a lot more appreciative and therefore a lot more determined to be a lot more active and a lot more involved in whatever opportunities that we do have to get together to work, to worship, and to serve once we all feel that it is safe to do so. Hopefully we'll appreciate that. So God can bring good even out of the worst of situations. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? In case you haven't gotten the idea from some of the things that I've preached here in the past, let me be perfectly clear. I hate the damage that this pandemic is doing to so many things that so many of us have for so long held so near and dear. I hate, because they dug hate's a strong word, by the way, the word hate is in the Bible. Christians are to hate some things. Proverbs tells us we're to hate evil, so I'm not using an unbiblical term when I use the word hate. Okay, just so we're all clear on that. If y'all want a sermon on all things the Bible says we're to hate, we can do that. Not today. <laughs> I hate how this pandemic has separated our church family, both physically and even sadly, in some cases, separated us ideologically. We'll get to that later. I hate how this pandemic has separated our fellowship down into small groups of isolated worshipers on Sunday. I hate how it's done that. I hate how its social distancing policies seem to be slowly sliding into spiritual distancing in some corners of our beloved church family nationally. Worldwide. Personally, I hate how I can no longer see the smiles of encouragement on so many of my brethren's faces, either because they have to be absent due to health issues, and some do. They, they have no choice. They have to be, and I, and I get that. I'm not saying they shouldn't be. Don't, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I hate, though, how I can no longer see the smiles of love and encouragement on so many of my brethren's faces, number one, because they're either absent, or number two, because they have to come through the door with a mask on. And I understand why they wear them, and many of them need to. I, I get that. I'm not saying they shouldn't. That, that's not my point. I hate how this pandemic has caused the cancellation of so many, so many spiritual activities that we used to hold so near and dear. I miss, I miss Tri-State. I miss Meals of Love. I miss the lectureships. I miss, remember middle of March when the church had the opportunity to go out after evening services and we all went to Claremore and we all had a burger together, y'all remember that? That was a great night, that was fabulous. So many things that this thing has canceled, like Green Valley Bible Camp. 
so many of us would have just returned home from yesterday after the greatest spiritual week of the year, amen? Amen, the greatest spiritual week of the year. And all of it's due to COVID. However, however, now I got that off my chest. <laughs> Having said that, I have preached and taught and believed for years the biblical truth. We have some with us this morning that are, that are here that, that used to attend in Cleveland. They can tell you I've taught this for many years that we as Christians must always seek to find and look at the good in any and every given situation. Because if all we ever focus on is the negative, it's gonna eat us up. You understand that? If all we ever put into our heads is the negative, there's good and bad in everything. Reminds me of the story, the, the, the woman and the, the husband and the wife that were married and, and the husband got so frustrated with his wife because he said, you can find good in anything. He thought he had her one day when he said, well, what do you think of Satan? She says, well, you've got to admit he does his job real well. We should always look for the good. Always, because the negative will eat us up. And there's enough in any situation if we'll just focus on it. And, and I take that mindset and always have, believe I have at least, not only from the words of Romans 8.28, wherein it tells us that God causes all things to work together for our good, but also for what the Apostle Paul wrote particularly to the brethren in the first century Church of Christ in Philippi. Please open your Bibles, even if you know the text by heart and can quote it. Please open your Bibles to Philippians. I'm going to be in chapter 4 in a minute, but not just yet. I want you to think about what Paul wrote, where he was when he wrote it, and those sorts of things. To begin with, at the time that Paul wrote, to the Church of Christ in first century Philippi, did you know, well, I'm sure you did, he too was in confinement. He was, he was no longer free to move about as he once had. Just as many of us today with the whole COVID thing, we can't go and do what we used to. Well, he was in confinement, couldn't do what he used to either. He mentions three times in chapter one, three times in eight short verses, his chains in Philippians chapter 1, verses 7 through 14. And yet, this is an epistle which constantly talks about, even though he mentions right up front in the opening, his chains not once, not twice, but three times. This is an epistle, this is a letter that he tells them about his joy. He constantly tells them about his joy four times. In four short chapters, he mentions the word joy. He talks about his joy and rejoicing. The word rejoicing in some form or another occurs, check it out, 12 times in four chapters. That averages three times a chapter. He talks about rejoicing on top of joy. And he's in chains, he's confined. He doesn't have his freedom. Even though he was in a bona fide, certified, life and death situation himself, that did not daunt. Brethren, we gotta get this. He, let me say it again. I know I got a lot to say and it takes a lot of time, but you gotta, you gotta get this. He was in a bona fide, certified, potential life and death situation. And yet, 
That did not daunt or dampen his spirits one single iota. Chapter 1, verses 19 through 24. He still had peace. Peace is a word he uses three times in four chapters. He still had peace because he had learned the secret of being content in whatever the circumstances he was in, chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Now, a huge part of that secret, yes, he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, that's true. But part of doing all things through Christ is having the type of focus that Christ wanted him to have. The secret of being content, a huge part of that is most assuredly found in what his focus was on as he had just explained a few verses earlier beginning in verse 4 of chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. But Paul, you're in chains. Have you forgotten? Clink, clink, clink. No! But I'm still going to rejoice because I still know Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. What does that mean? That means don't get anxious and cutting and, and just be gentle with all men. Even if you're in chains, the Lord is at hand. That means the Lord's right there. He's close. Look at his focus. Focus, 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 focus. It's all about focus. Be anxious for nothing. Did I say a few minutes ago I hated what this COVID thing was doing? Did I say that? Okay. Do I want to see it over? Yeah, I want to see it over last February. What does God say? Don't be anxious. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, he said, instead of being anxious, you talk to me about it. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Can we thank God for the good he's bringing, that he can bring out of this? Can we thank God for the good things? Absolutely, we better be. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Well, what's going to happen if I do that, Paul? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, that all is the same, same word we see in Romans 8, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. What is he saying? Look for the good. Find it. You may have to dig a little, but find it. Paul is sitting there rejoicing in a jail cell because he's not focused on his chains. He's focused on his God. He says... Meditate on these things. Find the good. Find something that's praiseworthy. Meditate on it. Think about that. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in, saw in me, these do, and what? The God of peace will be with you. In verse 7, he said, if you want the peace of God. Now he's saying, if you want the God of peace, what do you got to do? Focus on the good. Say, man, it's so hard. I didn't say it was easy. But God said, if you do that, you can rejoice. You can rejoice. And so we see that we must search for, find, and focus on the good, the positive. 
I should say, the positive. In any given and even the worst of situations, we need to focus on the positive. If we're ever going to have that peace and joy that God wants and intends for us to have, even in the midst of that, that bad situation, we've got to focus on the good. That's the only way that we're going to have the peace of God and the God of peace. That's it. It's not a big secret. It's right there in Philippians 4. God's made it real clear. We just got to be willing to do it. And so, I ask that you keep that word in mind as we continue. The word? The word? Positive. Keep the word positive in mind as it is one of three key components in today's as yet unrevealed sermon title. You know how I usually give you a sermon title when we get started? Notice I didn't give you one today. This is one word in the title. I really want you to think about this. Positive. I think probably the only one that knows is the man who set up the PowerPoint. All right. The second key word or component in today's as yet unrevealed lesson title is testing. Testing. God has always allowed certain circumstances to happen in our lives to test us. Not because he doesn't know the answer, but because our faith needs to be tested to see what it's made of. We see this in Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3. I'm not going to turn there, but if you're taking notes, check it out later. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3. In Exodus chapter 16 and verse 4, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. The word test occurs in the Bible quite a lot. God often tests his people. He puts them in a certain, certain situation. He teaches them what to do, and then he allows them to be in that situation to see if they're going to do it or not. It's testing. We see this throughout Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Moses said, Every commandment which I command you today you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness, watch this, to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Even in the New Testament, we see that Jesus did this with his disciples. Did you know that, that Jesus did certain things to test his disciples? And, and the text tells us that. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, reveals that Jesus would do this with his disciples. That he would put their faith to the test. After, after trying to teach them something, he would put their faith to the test by allowing a certain set of circumstances and see if they got it. It's just like we do in school. It's just like we do sometimes if we have uh, operating procedures on our jobs. If we're in college or high school, how does it work? Here's how it works. We all know this. We have a certain amount of material. There's something we're supposed to learn. And so we go over the material and over the material and we learn supposedly what we're supposed to learn. Then what do we do? We get a test to see if 
we have learned the material and how it applies. Is that, is that right? Is that fair? Educators, is that fair? Okay. What I want us to understand this morning is it works the same way with God. I'm going to give you a list of scriptures. I'm not turning to them. I'll say them slowly so you can write them down. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, as well as chapter 4, verse 12, through chapter 5, verse 11 and many other texts that we could go to shows us this very thing. It shows us that God often allows us to go through some of the fiery trials we do. God allows us to go through some of the fiery trials we do simply in order to put our faith to the test, to see what we've learned, to eliminate the impurities, and to see where we need strengthening by the way we respond in the midst of that particular fiery test, trial, or circumstance. That makes sense to everybody? God teaches us what we're supposed to do, and then he allows this fiery trial to come upon us to see how strong our faith is, like gold that's tested through fire. Our faith is tested the same way. We're put through the fire to see where the weak spots are, to get out the impurities, to strengthen us more, to see what we've learned. We see that such testing of our faith is a very positive thing in James chapter 1. Please turn there. James chapter 1. Look at verses 2, 3, and 4 with me. James 1, please turn. I want you to see this in your own Bible. Don't want you to take my word for it. James 1, 2 through 4. My brethren, Right into Christians. Count it all joy. There's that word all again. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James said there is a very positive, positive intention to having your faith tested. Testing is a positive thing. And certainly, it doesn't seem to me that there could be a much more effective test to see whether or not we have truly learned to focus on the good and the positive especially when it comes to what we've learned from the Word of God about our love for one another, our acceptance with one another, our patience with one another, then we have been provided with, in this current coronavirus testing ground. In fact, that brings us to the title of today's lesson, Testing Positive with the coronavirus. 
This is how I want us to kind of get our mind around this this morning. I want us to think of the whole COVID thing as a test that we need to pass. When it comes to our love and patience and all those things God has taught us about our acceptance of one another, even when we may disagree on certain matters of opinion, it's a testing ground. Let me show you what I mean. Some of our dearly beloved, blood-washed brethren in Christ are of the opinion that anybody that does not wear a mask to worship is not taking the virus seriously, they're unloving, they're uncaring, etc., etc. They will cite medical professionals medical professionals who have claimed that the germs from an uncovered cough or sneeze can carry up to a couple of hundred yards in an enclosed room. Then we have other dearly beloved, blood-washed brethren who are of the opinion Quite to the contrary. And they will cite other medical professionals who have written that, quote, wearing a mask outside of healthcare facilities offers little, if any, protection from infection. And that masks serve only symbolically, more as a tool to alleviate feelings of fear and anxiety than to actually curb the spread of the virus. You have all the opinions in between those two. And I am not here this morning to debate or to defend in any, on any level the medical accuracy in either position. I'm not, because I am not a medical professional in any sense of the term. Never have been, never will be. But what I am here to do this morning Seeing as how we have brethren who are just as firmly convinced on both sides of the issue and everywhere in between, what I am here to do this morning is to say and to shout from the biblical and metaphorical mountaintops what a wonderful, positive testing ground the coronavirus provides to see how much we have actually learned about loving, accepting, and honoring our brethren no matter where they are on this, no matter which opinion they hold. What an opportunity to prove what we've learned about loving one another. And there is no greater chapter in the Bible when it comes to our opinions and how to deal with them when they differ. Want to deal with our opinions much at all than Romans 14. I want you to turn there with me to Romans 14. And I want you to apply what we are going to read in Romans 14, which is basically the whole chapter, unless I decide to read the whole chapter, to everything I've said so far, and especially this latest point. Chapter 14 and verse 1, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes 
over doubtful things. Some versions may say matters of opinion. That's one thing we need to understand. We're not talking about baptism now saves you here. There's no dispute to that. That's, that's done and dealt with. We're not talking here about the need for faith or repentance in order to be saved. That's not disputable. That's not doubtable. That's not a matter of opinion. That's book, chapter, and verse, black and white, okay? Romans 14, the entire context is matters of opinion, and that means things that God has not come right out and expressly said something about. That's what we're talking about. What time of services? Well, I prefer them at 10.30 in the morning. Well, I prefer them at 10.45. Well, let's fight about it. No. Let's let people who lead in the church make the decision because the opinions aren't worth fighting over. Any opinion that causes us not to show love for one another, we need to rethink what we're doing with it. And, and that's Romans 14. Let's, let's continue on. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. And again, apply this to our current diversity in mask opinions. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. He who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Again, it's in matters of opinion. Or why do you show contempt for your brother. Paul wrote this almost 2,000 years ago. I didn't come up with this on my own. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, again, talking about disputable matters, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Don't destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God's not eating and drinking. It's not about those trivial things like that, but it is about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Remember we talked about Paul in Philippians 4. It's about peace. It's about joy. That's what the church of our Lord is about. It's not about these trivial things and, and dividing over matters of opinion. It's about righteousness and peace and joy. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us, that's all of us, that's each and every one of us, 
Pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Now, I, I got to stop right here. I, I didn't have this in my notes, but I want to make this point. It would be easy for either side in this situation to say to the other one, well, you're a stumbling block to me. So you got to stop doing what you're doing and do it my way. Well, the minute you do that, the one who's got to do it your way, you become a stumbling block too. So that's not what it's talking about. Don't, don't, mess, don't miss that. We'll, we'll get to the entire package here in a minute. But he wraps it up this way. Do not destroy, again, verse 20, the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it's evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat, drink, I can say this, to eat meat or drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Here's the wrap up. Do you have faith? Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith and whatever is not from faith is sin. I had the privilege and opportunity of sitting down to lunch Thursday afternoon with Phil Sanders. Got to talking about this very thing and before I could bring it up when we were talking about some of these issues around the COVID, he brought up Romans 14. And he said, the bottom line to that whole thing is and I had already had my notes done because I had them done before I went to OKC. It's amazing how when we're all working from the same book, how we all come to the same conclusion, isn't it? The bottom line to Romans 14 is this. None of us, none of us, don't care where you come down on this. None of us should judge our brethren when it comes to matters of opinion, verse 1 or insist that they violate their conscience and conclusions in order to satisfy and comply with ours. For the kingdom of God is not about masking or not masking. The kingdom of God is about righteousness and peace and joy and the love that we have as blood-bought children of the living God. That's what matters. It's not our opinion, and it's okay. It's okay, whatever your opinion is, it's okay. If you, if you, I don't care, and God doesn't care if you wear a mask to bed at night, or you never put one on, or you wear it everywhere, and some need to on account of their health, and I understand that, but, but that's not the point. The point is, when it divides and separates us as brethren, when it causes antagonism between us as brethren, when it causes problems and we're not loving each other the way we should as brethren over a matter of opinion, it's not worth insisting that you comply with what I want you to do. That's not the spirit of Christ. That ain't even close. Whatever your opinion is, whatever your opinion is, great, praise God, praise God, right? Praise God, wonderful. Do what you got, isn't that what he says? Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. You understand from your convictions and conclusions what you gotta do, praise God, do it. But if I force you to comply with my conscience, 
or you seek to force me to comply with yours and, and mine's diametrically opposed, what does it say? It says that if I do what I do just to please you and I don't believe it, that's sin. Because I'm not doing it from the faith that I have developed and the conclusions and convictions I've come to. Instead, each of us need to do the absolute best we can and understand to do, knowing that we will each personally answer to God. Each one of us can answer to God for our own opinions, our own actions, and our own attitudes. Look in Romans 15. Look in chapter 15. Look at verses 5 through 7. It's a personal thing. What does it say there? Verses 5 through 7. Follow along in, in your Bible. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Does Jesus love those children of his who wear masks everywhere? Does he or not? This means yes. We've done this so many times now. Does God love those children of his who, except where it's illegal not to wear one, where they choose not to wear one? And God loves them too. They're just making a mistake because we're to obey the laws of the land. But God, does God love people all over the place on this thing? Did he die for people who are of all different opinions on this thing? Do we have brethren in the church universally who are all over the place on this thing? Yeah. But what does it say in Romans 15? It says, verse 5, be like-minded toward one another, according, act toward each other, and have, have the same mindset toward one another that Christ does, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another. It, it, it's amazing to me, or it, it's perfectly fitting, this follows the chapter on opinions when he says, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. He does not say, receive only those brethren who agree with you on every point. He doesn't say that. And I think that this is a wonderful, positive, and comprehensive test to see if we will truly focus on the good and positive instead of the debatable and negative in matter of opinion, both within our brethren as well as this situation. Because the most important thing in the kingdom is our love for one another. Isn't it? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love one another even as I have loved you. Turn to me to 1 Corinthians 13. I apologize, this, uh, apologize for this particular, uh, going over this again to any who might be involved in marriage counseling. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. That word suffers long. Some versions, maybe it says long suffering or patient, but that has a lot of meanings. Listen to these meanings. To be of a long spirit, meaning patient. Not to lose heart. To persevere patiently and bravely in enduring misfortunes and troubles. 
to be patient in bearing the offenses and injuries of others, to be mild and slow in avenging, to be long-suffering, slow to anger, slow to punish. It is no wonder that God had this put down as the first attribute of love. Look the Greek word up. That's what it means. Love suffers long. It says love is, verse 4, kind. This is the only place in the entire New Testament this Greek word appears. We have the word kind, I believe, in other places, but it's not the same Greek word. It means to show oneself mild, to be kind, to use kindness. It does not parade itself. The New American Standard Version says, does not brag. In other words, it does not say, my way is the right way for everybody. There's two ways, my way and the wrong way. It doesn't do that. It's not puffed up, it doesn't boast, it's not, it, that's not, that's not what real love does. That's what the word means. Do you remember, this is in Corinthians, do you remember what the Corinthians were doing in chapter one, do you remember? Some of them say, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, you remember that discussion that the Corinthian church was having, what were they saying? Well, I follow this teacher, because he's the right one, or I follow this one, this one's right. Isn't that the same text wherein God said there should be no divisions among you? Isn't that 1 Corinthians 1.10? Isn't that the same passage? Yeah, it is. We must not let this, this current thing that's going on, where the world is, is fighting over mask or no mask or whatever, we can't let that invade the church. We can't become people who, like the Corinthians in chapter 1, say, well, this sign is right, and that's what I'm going to follow because I know I'm right and everybody else. We can't do that. Well, I follow what this, this session says. Well, I follow what this school says. Well, I follow what this medical professional says. How about we all just follow what Jesus says and love and accept one another where we are? Does that sound like a better idea? Hmm? When we start following men on anything, whether it's religious, scientific, we're going to come into conflict with Christ and we're going to have to make a choice. Continuing on. It is not puffed up. Again, not inflated, swelled up, prideful, puffed up. Verse 5, the definition of real, heavenly, divinely inspired, I'm sorry, divinely appointed and Christ-like love continues there in verse 5. It says there, it does not behave rudely. Real love doesn't do that. It just doesn't. It doesn't have that attitude at all. It does not seek its own. Again, does not say, I'm right and everybody else wrong. I don't care what they think. That's not love. Is not provoked or easily provoked. Real love thinks no evil. Do you see why I said earlier that the coronavirus is a wonderful testing ground to see how positively we've learned our lessons about loving and accepting one another? Do you see why I said that? We have the opportunity to put this into play in a way that maybe we haven't before. Verses 6 through 8 say, Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Even differences of opinion? Absolutely. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love endures all things. 
Was love made to endure the coronavirus pandemic? Was it? Sure it was. Was love there to endure the Roman Empire and outlast it? Yes. Everything we go through bad, yes. Love believes in the best. It, it hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. And the sentence structure in verse 8 means love never fails to do those things. That's what real love does. I want to leave you with a couple of thoughts this morning. Not that I haven't given you something to think about already. We are truly in a time of a lot of tension in our world. Seems like in some cases, if you flip on the news, that Everybody wants to fight because they got nothing else to do. They've lost their jobs, they can't go to the movies, they can't do anything else, so they're just gonna fight with everybody else. We are truly in a time of tension and of testing. And as such, we must always first look at and then respond with positive. And seldom, brethren, have we ever had such a prolonged, far-reaching, and heart-revealing opportunity as the current coronavirus pandemic provides us with to do so. In light of that, I want to leave you this morning with some of the words that the Apostle Paul left his beloved Corinthian brethren with so many centuries ago. He loved those Corinthian brethren, the same ones he wrote about love to. And I want to leave you with some of his words from the very end of the second epistle that we have a record of that he wrote to them. A couple of excerpts from 2 Corinthians 13, verses 5 and 7 especially as they relate to testing and what we're going to do as our love and interactions with one another are tested, as they should be, to see where our faith is. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 7, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? Now I pray to God that you do no evil, but that you should do what is honorable. Give the invitation in just a minute. I want to leave you with a final word. Beginning of this lesson, I told you some of the things that I hated about this pandemic, its effects. You know what's going to hurt more than all of the spiritual activities we've missed and more than, than all, most all of that stuff that I mentioned? You know what's going to hurt more? You know what I'm going to hate more? 
and I believe God's going to hate it too. I can't speak for him, but I believe in my studies that God's going to hate it too, and that's this. If we lose brethren over this thing, simply because of the aggressiveness of some over their opinion. When all is said and done, if we have brethren who never come back because they're offended so highly, we lose souls. I'm going to hate that more than anything else. I believe God is as well. So, wherever you are with your opinion, praise God. Do what you got to do. But love your brethren who may not have exactly the same opinion. Please. When this is all said and done, let's all get back in this building together and praise and worship God together as one of the same mind, just like God said we need to do. This morning, if you're here and you've never become a part of the family of God, you can do that by understanding that Jesus is the Christ. by being willing to confess him, to repent, to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and then to go on and live faithfully. If you've never been baptized or maybe, maybe you're somebody here this morning and said, you know what? I need the prayers of the church to do better when it comes to a differing opinion or those who have them. Maybe you need the prayers of the church. There's nothing dishonorable about walking down that aisle. I do it every Sunday. Matter of fact, there's nothing more beautiful than somebody says, hey, I need to make some changes. Did David do that? Paul do that? They were some pretty faithful men of God, weren't they? If you need the prayers of the church, you need help in your spirituality to love stronger, to love deeper, if there's anything whatsoever we can do to help you this morning, we'd be glad to right now as we stand and as we sing.